Today, I'm navigating the public transportation system here in Germany. I've never lived in a city that has much public transportation because Los Angeles, let's be honest, it exists, but I've never used it before. But here I'm at the station and I can't help but think about a study involving a rather intelligent mold involving subway routes. So how can mold be intelligent? And what does public transportation have to do with this slimy microorganism? Well, I'm sure I'll get to that later in this episode, but what more can we learn about the mysteries of slime mold? So let's talk about it, shall we? Hello, hello. Welcome to Little Curiosities. I am your host, Kendall Long. And some of you may remember me from a show called The Bachelor, where I was known as that crazy taxidermy girl. I was on a quest for love. You know, I was looking to find the one. But on this podcast, I am on a completely different quest, and that is the quest for knowledge. The quest for answering questions that pop in my head on a daily basis. This podcast is an accumulation of all that I'm curious about, all that I love to research and dig into. I go into rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and I share all that knowledge with you. And this week's topic is about an organism that has boggled my mind for quite some time. For those of you who are lovely weekly listeners of this podcast, you'll know that this is the glorious rot month, where I put together four episodes of oozing, fuzzy, festering rot content. Yum. (laughs) Festering, it might be a worse word than moist. I don't know. Moist is still a tough word to say. If you haven't heard the previous episode on rot, I highly recommend you go back and check that out before jumping into this one. But if you're like, no, I must know about slime mold first, then who am I to stop you? I'd like to think these episodes can stand on their own too, but who doesn't want to learn more about rot? So go check out the previous episode if you haven't already. And yes, you heard me correctly, I said slime mold because this episode is all about that alien gunk. So let's begin. I first heard about slime mold while watching a live taping of this podcast called Radiolab. I love the podcast Radiolab. For those of you who haven't heard it, I highly recommend you check it out. But the theme of this specific episode of the podcast was animal intelligence. Amazing theme, I know. I was all up in this episode. Four science writers chose an animal they believed to be the most intelligent, and they went head-to-head trying to convince the podcast hosts, one of the hosts was a dog that performed in the musical Annie, that their animal deserved to be the Sparty Pants the winner of the title of the most intelligent animal. They highlighted some pretty cool animals, including sperm whales, ravens, and it was so weird, chickens, which I don't really think stood much of a chance in winning the title. But even more surprising to me was slime mold. How, I thought, could this bright yellow slimy stuff be that intelligent? even compared to the intelligence of the almighty chicken. I did learn a lot in that episode about slime mold, and I gained a huge respect for the gooey stuff, but still, I needed to know more. So here we are, highlighting it on the Little Curiosities podcast, so let's talk about it, shall we? Alrighty, so before I dive into all that is slimy, I did put some feelers on my Instagram. So what were your questions and comments and facts about slime mold? One of you smarty pants said, it's an efficient mover. And then you recommended that I look up the experiment with the train routes that it improved on. 
Yes, that's exactly right. Slime Mold does know how to get to a snack lickety-split, and when it comes to transportation routes, dare I say, it could be smarter than humans. More on that later in the episode. I loved this comment. Another one of you had the query, biofilm? Question mark? I didn't know what biofilm was when I saw this comment, but I had to look it up. And biofilm is the slimy protective coating that organisms produce. So it covers bacteria and fungus cells to keep them safe from your body's immune system, which can't penetrate the slime. So it's the plaque on teeth that creates a biofilm, and that's why your chompers feel slippery and slimy in the morning when you wake up. We love that feeling. <laughs> biofilm can also be the slime you see on your toilet's shower, or drainage pipes. And it did say that sometimes biofilm is confused with slime mold. So although biofilm is on the mold, it is not the slime mold I am talking about today. But still, that was an interesting side investigation that I went through, so thank you for that comment. And the last comment I'll share with all you love bugs today makes me think that some of you know that slime mold is way more than it appears, saying, I heard they are really smart. As I said in my spark in the beginning of the episode, I was extremely surprised to find out just how smart this sludge can be. So let's dip our toe into the pool of this mysterious ooze and coat ourselves with some slime mold loveliness. Before we dive in, I want to take some time to say thank you, thank you to everybody that had a question or comment for this episode. It really helps spark some curiosity, and it just adds to this topic tremendously. A reminder for those of you that want to contribute to future episodes with your knowledge or questions, keep a lookout on my Instagram stories at at It's Kendall Long. I always make sure to post a little hint at the topic of a future episode and use your brains to add in some more luscious knowledge or inquiries I probably wouldn't have thought of on my own, so I always appreciate your input. On that note, let's learn about slime mold. As you may or may not know, this is the month of rot. I dug up four episodes of festering knowledge all about the wonderful world of decomposition, and it was my impression that slime mold must be a mold, right? Wrong. I quickly realized while researching this episode for you that although slime mold has the word mold in its name, it's not actually a mold. It's a brainless, soil-dwelling, single-celled amoeba. So that big, slimy blob spreading over the forest floor is just one cell. But unlike our cells, this one cell has many nucleuses inside of it. It is as if someone cut open a bunch of cells and dumped their contents into one giant cell. I read that one species of single-cell slime mold called Physicalorum polycephalum, which could get as large as 30 centimeters in diameter, which is about the same size as a medium pizza. You you probably would not want to eat that pizza. Or maybe you would. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not here to judge. Our slime mold friend comes in many colors and ever-shifting shapes. It could be orange, clear, white, red, but the most popular color of slime mold I've come across seems to be bright yellow. If you ever come across slime mold while on a hike in a wet, wooded area and pluck up the courage to touch it, and yes, it's safe to touch, don't worry, it's said to feel like snot. And just like our nose stuff, it will leave a slimy residue on your finger. Not gonna lie, I have touched many a weird thing while on a hike in the forest, and I would not be able to resist the temptation to touch slime mold. I will definitely touch it. I'll probably collect it and keep it. I don't know what I'll do with it. Maybe put it on a pizza. <laughs> 
Although slime mold spends most of its life as a single-celled organism, that doesn't stop it from banding together during hard times. In fact, thousands of slime mold cells will combine together when food is short and create one large mound. It just goes to show that, indeed, there is power in numbers. I mean, a thousand brains are better than one, but when it comes to slime mold, they don't have brains, so I don't know exactly how that works. Now, there are a lot of different species of slime mold, but the ones that get the most hype are the plasmoidal slime molds. There are fewer than a thousand of these species, and they get most of the attention because they flaunt the largest, fruitiest bodies, and they're some of the more brightly colored plasmoidia, which is another name for an amoeba-like mass of protoplasm containing many nuclei. This is what we see when we see slime mold, all that beautiful neonish festering slime. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think slime mold is absolutely beautiful. The patterns that it makes, the colors, the shapes. I can look at pictures of slime mold all day. To me, it does really look like more of like a brightly colored mold. But as I said before, I was absolutely flabbergasted that slime mold wasn't a mold. Also, surprisingly, out of the five main animal kingdoms of living things, it isn't in the fungi or animal category either. And to make things more confusing, the many species of slime mold were wrongly classified as fungi for many years. I kind of love when what we believe to be fact gets completely flipped on its head. The one thing about science that I find fascinating is that, just like you and me, the field of science is constantly learning and growing. It's like, sorry, we were wrong about that, now let's relook at everything we thought we knew. But this also begs the question, if slime mold isn't a fungus, an animal, or a mold at all, what is it? Those of you admittedly like myself that need to categorize and name things to understand them, do not fret. On a side note, isn't it funny how everything must be labeled, named, and accounted for? You'll be relieved to find that it now belongs in the kingdom of Protista. Living things in this kingdom are basically all eukaryotes, aka any organism whose cells have a nucleus that are not able to be classified in the plant, animal, fungi, or bacterial kingdom. So given this very vague description, I'm sure you can tell that this means protists are very diverse. This is a section of the animal kingdom that feels like scientists were like, I don't know what these are, just put them in this kingdom and be done with it. In fact, some protists are more closely related to plants, animals, or fungi than any other protists. And you might actually be familiar with some of the protists in this kingdom. Some like kelp, or edible wakame, which is a type of seaweed, sea lettuce, and a bumpy brown type of seaweed called bladder rack. Any of those ring a bell? And I can literally hear you gasping from the other side of this podcast, saying, What? Kelp? Wakame? I thought that was a plant? Well, you're wrong. It may resemble a plant, but it's actually a type of brown algae. I know, it feels wrong but it's so right. Other organisms a part of the large protist family are diatomes. If you've heard of diatomes, you get extra credit because they are quite impressive creatures and no big deal, but they only generate around 20 to 50% of all oxygen we have on our planet. Like I said, no big deal. They were also microscopic creatures that the earliest forms of chalk were made of. And yes, they are all protists as well. Very diverse indeed. 
And again, I know slime mold isn't a mold, but what makes slime mold perfect for this episode of This Month of Rot is that it's a part of another very impressive group of creatures called saprophytic organisms. So what is this big word, saprophytic? Saprophytic means it lives to decompose organic matter. It plays an essential role in making sure plants, like fallen leaves, tree trunks, and other things on the forest floor are broken down. They don't eat the plants themselves, but they do eat the microorganisms like bacteria and mold and yeast that feed off of rotting plant matter and anything else that decomposes dead things. And we need these little guys, because if they weren't around, our world would be a chock full of rotting plant matter. That does not sound like a world I want to live in. As decomposers, they are an essential part of our world's life cycle, recycling all that nutrients so it can be utilized by other critters. And they then, in turn, get eaten themselves by smaller animals such as nematodes, ants, snails, and even some beetles that feed get this, exclusively on slime mold. So exclusively that they have specialized jaws that just suck up the gooey stuff. And guess what? Believe it or not, some species of slime mold are even consumed by dot 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 humans. <laughs> I was surprised by this because slime mold wouldn't be my first pick on a menu, and you'll be even more bewildered to find that one species of the bright yellow slimy stuff that people actually eat somewhat resembles dog vomit, so much so that it is quite literally called dog vomit because it looks that unappetizing. But wait, hear me out, because despite its appearance and unfortunate title, there is yet another name for this yellow goo, scrambled egg slime. Because some indigenous people in Mexico collect the stuff and scramble it up like eggs. And if you put a picture of slime mold and scrambled eggs together, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't really be able to tell the difference at times because they do look very similar. And you know what? Somehow that name change makes it more appetizing and makes me want to try it and eat it. I would definitely try slime mold if you give it a name like scrambled egg slime. Until <laughs> I found out another popular name for it, Caca de Luna. Can you guess what that means? Yep, moon excrement aka moon poop, and it's kind of fitting because, look, it, it looks like scrambled eggs, it looks like snot, but it also does look like what I think alien poop would look like. So, I don't know. Do we eat it? Do we not eat it? These names are really mixing me up. Crazy nicknames aside, the real name for this specific species of slime mold is Fuligo septica, that really doesn't make me want to eat it either. And there are other edible slime molds out there, such as the Enteridium lycoperidon, which kind of looks like a white bumpy ball, as if someone chewed bubblegum until all the flavor and the color was out of it and stuck it under a table. Slime mold, you're making it really difficult to want to eat you, though I've eaten so many different kinds of bugs and odd things that I would do it. I really would. I've eaten, what is it, crickets, I've eaten cow udder, kangaroo, alligator, frog. I've eaten it all. So honestly, slime mold is, you know, I couldn't pass that up. With all of the slime mold's unattractive nicknames and descriptions, it begs the question, can this queasy slime stuff really be intelligent? 
In the beginning of the episode, inspired by a commenter's fact mentioning how slime mold helps to improve train maps, I made the bold claim that slime mold could outdo humans in problem solving. And I stand by that claim, because studies have been done to prove just that. Slime mold has been proven to be quite good at solving mazes when tempted by a tasty snack. And I'm gonna be honest with you, if there was pizza at the end of a mold or some kind of puzzle, I could also be coerced to do it. So slime mold, I get you. We're one and the same. I read a few articles about slime molds navigating mazes and doing things with maps, and I found that researchers use cornflakes because they're said to be one of slime mold's favorite snacks, and I thought that was cute. I also like a bowl of cornflakes. Again, slime mold, we have a lot in common. <laughs> when it comes to slime mold and their favorite snack, they don't take time to mess around, because slime mold doesn't just stay in one place. It moves. Like, it's mobile. Although, you would have to use a time-lapse camera to capture their slow, pulsating migration because it's far too slow to witness with the naked eye. I actually do highly recommend you watch these slow-mo videos with the slime mold moving around, but because this is a podcast and we're limited to just audio, I'm going to do my very best to explain what I saw in these videos. So on these time-lapse cameras, it looks like a shape-shifting goo spreading its slimy web of yellow literally over anything in its path. Gooey tendrils stretch over the train in search of food and things that the slime mold wants to gobble up, and when it does find what it's looking for, be it mulch or a fungus, it covers and engulfs its prey, seemingly quivering with this excitement. And after it engulfs its food, this is when the meal is digested and absorbed into its body. It's both beautiful and disturbing. It's cool to see them moving in fast motion, because otherwise they would look just like a stagnant mold or like a stagnant slime on the forest floor. So it's really cool to see them move in this way. And it's these very spreading and searching abilities that make slime mold altogether impressive. Researchers brought slime mold into the lab, because that's what you do with things you don't understand. You bring it into a controlled setting, and they started conducting experiments with a maze. I feel like the first thing researchers always do when it comes to creatures they study is they put them in a maze, right? They do this with mice, monkeys, and I even saw a video of scientists putting an octopus in a maze. I know, I know, this is a major side tangent, but I just had to know why. And as it turns out, a maze is a pretty good way to test a variety of different behaviors when it comes to cognitive processes. It gives an organism a start and a goal to get to the end point, where it will be rewarded. Simple enough, very efficient. In the case of the slime mold, we are very glad they too were put to the maze test because slime molds seem to not only locate the food within the twists and turns of the puzzle, but they began to then transport that nutrients through the most productive route of the maze. And it's because of this, researchers got to thinking, and then started experimenting further in some very funky ways. They laid out a map of Tokyo and the Japanese subway system. Food points were then placed on pins corresponding to major cities throughout Japan. They started the slime mold on the city of Tokyo, and then just sat back and watched it explore. At first, the slime mold spread out and just moved around randomly, exploring its new terrain, as I feel a lot of species would do when they're in a new area. They're like, where the heck am I? I gotta figure this out. It then went about hunting out and locating all the food sources. 
But then, after a span of a few hours, the slime mold began to reorganize itself to get to each food source in the most efficient and quickest way possible. This is mind-blowing in so many ways. And speaking of mind, firstly, slime mold has no brain to speak of. And secondly, it has no known awareness of the actual problem itself. How does a slime mold seem to have the ability of a sort of memory without a mind. When the slime mold sends out its tendrils in search of food, it will retract those that came back empty-handed. When it does this, it leaves a trail of slime, acting as a sort of external memory. When a tendril crosses along these spots, it somehow knows that they are dead ends. AKA, no food here, so no need to waste time looking any further. Slime mold will then avoid the old slime trails where it has already traveled and strengthen the path or paths leading directly to the food. My non-slime mold brain is blown right now. And come on, researchers weren't going to let slime mold get away with this without any proof, so they conducted a study to prove once and for all that a slime mold was actually using its slime trail as a sort of memory. In this study, researchers decided to trick the slime mold by putting its own slime all over the maze. And in this way, the slime mold couldn't mark where it had and hadn't been. So this actually confused the slime mold, and this led to less success in finding food sources in the labyrinth. I picture slime mold is like Jack Torrance in The Shining, and the researchers are Danny trying to trick its father, quote-unquote father, into being stuck in the maze. How mean. The slime mold was like, what the heck, dude? I'm just gonna get stuck in here forever and not get my cornflakes. That's the tragedy of it all. All right, so this slime mold urban map experiment has been replicated by many different cities with many different maps and transportation networks, including the major roadways of England, Canada, Spain, and Portugal. The fact that this one cell had the ability to solve real-world problems that took teams of engineers countless hours to figure out it is rocking my brain right now. And in some cases, the slime mold's route was actually better. That sounds like an intelligent life form to me. And if you were a researcher, this would excite you for obvious reasons, because slime mold and its expert transportation techniques could be used in all kinds of ways. Researchers have even made a mathematical model borrowing behaviors and simple properties from slime mold to utilize for many different purposes. Like slime mold, the model at first casts out a fine mesh network and then continuously refines these networks so that the paths carrying the most quote-unquote cargo grow stronger, while the ones not lifting their weight are trimmed off. This model could be useful in creating networks that need to change over time. For instance, scientists believe they could harness the slime mold's adaptive abilities to design wireless warning systems for things like natural disasters when one pathway of these networks is blocked due to a fire, a flood, or any other obstacle caused by nature's unpredictable ways. This network, just like a slime mold, would need to be efficient and quick and reroute information. These adaptive networks could also be used for robots navigating hazardous environments and by soldiers planning out the safest and most efficient route in a battlefield. 
Also, not to mention biological uses, such as learning how blood vessels grow to support cancerous tumors. The more we discover about the brainless ways of the slime mold, the more we can learn that one doesn't necessarily need a brain to solve problems. Speaking of brains, this does make me think that slime mold must have evolved in some alien world to acquire such unique capabilities. Did I say alien or ancient? <laughs> the key to slime mold's peculiar intelligence could be the fact that it's been around for at least 60 million years. Some even say it could have been on this planet as far back as 1 billion years ago. So that means slime mold was slowly oozing along during the time when most organisms hadn't even yet evolved a brain or even a simple nervous system. Surviving this world meant that slime mold had to adapt to its environment, find food, and stay safe equipped with very little. These very biologically scarce conditions may have led the slime mold to attain all of its unique and useful characteristics that we see today. In this way, I like to think of slime mold as the MacGyver of evolution, solving problems with what it had on hand. But instead of stealing a car, defusing a bomb, and saving the day armed with just a paper clip and chewing gum, slime mold had to navigate through an unknown jungle, remember where it's already searched, and finally locate something yummy, and then adapt to make this trip energy efficient, all without a brain or nervous system to speak of. To quote MacGyver, the best way to beat a problem is to make it work for you. And slime mold definitely makes it work. It looks like slime mold is literally redefining what you need to qualify as an intelligent organism. You know what? Maybe the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz had it all wrong when he sang If I Only Had a Brain. Perhaps instead of focusing on what he was missing, the Scarecrow could have found the answer to all of his life's problems equipped with what he already had. The resolution may have been within himself the whole time. And honestly, that would have saved a hell of a trip with witches and danger and evil monkeys with wings. Okie dokie, that about wraps up this episode. Thank you for lending me your ears, and I hope you learned something new. I know, I definitely did. I had no idea about all this amazingness of slime mold before I dove into researching this episode. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend. Send it to your crush and impress them with this slimy knowledge. Why not? This is for sure going to get you a date, right? <laughs> really, this is a new podcast, so anything you can do to spread the word definitely helps us. What also helps is if you subscribe or leave a review. I love reading all that you have to say. Be sure to tune in next week because I have another oozing episode all about rot. You won't want to miss it. I know. I'm excited too. So until then, adios. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back, too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform. 
just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.